If you will, please turn in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. We find ourselves, of course, in a verse-by-verse study of Paul's letter to the Thessalonians. That is the first letter. And as you're turning there, I'll begin the message this morning by saying, when the gospel of God's free grace in Christ comes into the life of a person, it has the effect in at least two critical areas. Number one, such gospel grace frees a person and his guilt from his sin by being granted forgiveness by God, which is to say, of course, a pardon or a declaration of righteousness, which, of course, the Bible calls justification. And that righteousness is the righteousness of Christ, the very righteousness of our Savior being exchanged for our own wretchedness. That's the glorious exchange. That's the great exchange. And that's the first critical effect. The second, when God's gospel of free grace begins to so work in our heart after justification, that is in our sanctification, then a believer is progressively changed into the very image of Jesus Christ. So we're talking about justification, our being declared righteous in Christ based not on our own works, but by the righteousness that Christ's, that Christ provides because of his perfect obedience to the Father. But as soon as that justification occurs and we're declared righteous in Christ because of Christ's righteousness, then we are progressively being changed from that very moment and onward throughout the rest of our Christian life as we are further conformed day by day into the image of our Lord Jesus. So if you are in your Bibles at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, I want us to study this morning verses 5 through 9. You follow along as I read 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 verses 5 to 9. Paul says there, Our gospel came to you not only in word but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You remember we studied that in detail last time. But then Paul goes on to say here in verse 5, You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you. I'll stop there. As I mentioned about this doctrine of justification and of sanctification, I believe that you can see these twin truths of gospel grace in what I just read. That is both salvation, what I mentioned before as justification, and sanctification. And even though sanctification is not so explicitly mentioned here by by word, certainly the concept is here, and also sanctification, our progressive growth in Christ. It comes clearly through, I believe, in the English Standard Version's translation of both verse 5, particularly, and also in verse 8. 
specifically in the repeated phrases that you find there, both in verse 5 and verse 8, not only. Do you see it there in your Bibles? Not only. Paul first speaks of the not only of salvation, justification, in verse 5 by communicating to the Thessalonians that God's gospel of free grace came to the Thessalonians in the power of the Holy Spirit's drawing them to Christ. That's their regeneration. And of course, this gospel had to be communicated to them in words. And undoubtedly, Paul communicated to them this great doctrine of justification, uh, how to be right with God. And then, this is why Paul, when he says that the word came not only in word but power, the gospel has to be spoken of with verbal content. This is why Paul says that the gospel came to them in word. That is, there was some verbal content about the cross, about Christianity, about Christ, about redemption, and of course about justification. Now, I want you to see that. Uh, put your finger right here in 1 Thessalonians 1 and keep your place there, but also turn in your Bibles over to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Now, we saw this uh, a couple of messages ago when we were talking about the doctrine of divine election, but I want to take you back there because I want to show you that the gospel has to be preached, communicated, uh, instructed toward people in words. Now, that seems quite evident, but there are some who say, well, isn't it just the life that someone lives who's a Christian, and then that life communicates the gospel? Well, indeed it does in some ways, but not without speaking gospel words, not without evangelism, not without communicating in words to people what the gospel really is. And Paul talks about this. And here in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, he contrasts this idea of the eloquence of uh, those philosophers and rhetoricians uh, and those who were really, really good at public speaking and how maybe if that's what the Corinthians were hoping Paul would do to come and really wow them in his verbal eloquence, uh, he tells them, not at all. I'm not coming to you that way. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, for instance, look at verse 17. He says, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. That is, preaching the gospel with words. And notice what he says, and not with words of eloquent wisdom. It's not my oratory that's the issue. It's not my great uh, rhetorical skills. He says, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. And then notice what he says in verse 18, for the word of the cross. And what does that mean? He uses word in the singular. Well, it's the story, the, uh, the idea, the concept of what the cross means. The word of the cross, the gospel, that's what he's talking about. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, redeemed, delivered from our sins. It is the power of God. And so do you see in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 when Paul says that this gospel, our gospel, the gospel of the apostles, the apostolic preaching of the cross, this didn't come to you, Thessalonians, as he tells the Corinthians, in word only, 
but also in power. And according to this particular text in 1 Corinthians, uh, he wasn't concerned with uh, words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Look at verse 21 of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul says, For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach. And there's that word again, preach, uh, uh, caruso. That, that means to herald, to herald the gospel. Uh, the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. You have to use words. You have to explain to people the concept of the cross by verbal means, by, by word content. That's what he's talking about here. For the Jews demand signs and Greeks seek, uh, Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, that is chosen, just like he's talking about in First Thessalonians chapter 1, God has chosen you, but for those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God, verse 25, is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. And then in that phrase in verse 24, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. And then look at chapter 2, verse 1, and I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling and my speech and my message. Do you see these different synonyms for the idea that if we are going to be effective as messengers of Jesus Christ, as, as God's heralds, as, as God's evangelists. We have to use words. We have to talk about the gospel. We have to communicate the gospel. Here, of course, he says that this speech, uh, this, this message, verse 4, my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Why? Verse 5, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. You say, how is, how is someone converted to Christ? How is, how is someone coming to faith in Christ? Well, I'll tell you how. In Romans chapter 10, it says this in verse 8. Romans 10.8, but what does it say? The Word, the Word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the Word of faith that we proclaim. You see, if we're going to be God's messengers, we have to speak a word, a word of the gospel. We have to proclaim it, uh, the Word of faith that we proclaim, Paul says. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For the heart one believes and is justified. There's that doctrine of justification spelled out here in Romans 10. And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the Scripture says, everyone who believes in Him will not be put to shame. And then look at verse 14 of Romans 10. How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him whom they have not heard? 
You see, you have to speak a word of the gospel to people. And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? And do you notice verse 17? So faith comes from hearing. You have to hear someone communicate the gospel before you can be delivered from your sins. So faith comes from hearing. And what kind of hearing? Verse 17 says, and hearing through the word of Christ. And then Paul quotes from Isaiah, their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the end of the world. Yes. Psalm 19:4 as well. So this is this is a this is an opportunity. This is this is what Paul did when he went to the Thessalonians. He he preached, he heralded the gospel, he communicated with words. And if you're taking notes, I would suggest to you that a great way to outline this text that I've read for you this morning, 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 1, verses 5, the middle portion of it, of course, uh, all the way through the first part of verse 9 that I read. If you want a, a great outline, it would be uh, maybe two clear takeaways from the context of these first century Thessalonian Christians applied to us in our own 21st century context. And here it is. Here are these two takeaways. Here are the two outline points. Number one, gospel grace, the gospel of the grace of God comes upon the lips of God's messengers. That's verse 5 and verse 8. That's what I'm talking about in the first part of this message. Gospel grace comes upon the lips of God's messengers. You can see that clearly in verse 5 and verse 8, and we're going to talk about that. And then secondly, gospel grace works through the lives of God's messengers. That's in the latter part of verse 5, verses 6 and 7, and then, of course, in the first part of verse 9. So gospel grace comes upon the lips of God's messengers, and gospel grace works through the lives of God's messengers. And when I started with the idea of salvation and sanctification, this is what I mean. When you come to faith in Jesus Christ because someone has communicated to you the gospel, that same gospel that you believed, that you received, that comes upon now your lips as a responsibility as one of God's messengers so that you can in turn communicate it to others. Someone shared the gospel with you. Someone communicated uh, the truth of Christianity to you, the cross of Christ. And now it's your responsibility as gospel grace has come into your life. Now this word, this message, this heralding, uh, you're, you're an evangelist and you're now called by God to take this message upon your own lips and speak it as God's messenger to someone else. That's, uh, that's this doctrine of justification where you've been declared righteous in Christ and then you communicate this same doctrine to others. You're one of God's messengers now. Gospel grace has come to you. Gospel grace now needs to come through your lips to others. But that's only the first point. The second point is gospel grace works through the lives of God's messengers. It's not just the message you teach, it's also the message you live. And we're going to be talking about those two things in the message this morning. Let's talk about the first one. Let's sort of unpack this. Let's tease this out. Gospel grace 
comes upon the lips of God's messengers. Notice what Paul says in verse 5 again, our gospel. Perhaps, of course, Paul is including Silvanus and Timothy and, of course, himself, he and his evangelistic comrades. Our gospel, meaning this is the gospel that we believed, this is the gospel that we've been entrusted with, and this is the gospel that you need to hear, Thessalonians. Our gospel, our gospel came to you. That's what it says clearly in in verse 5 here. And if you remember, I said to you last time that Paul goes on here in verse 5 to speak of the way or the manner in which he and his companions had come to the Thessalonians. Notice what it says there in verse 5, in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Of course, it is true that the gospel itself is the power of God unto salvation. We just read that, didn't we, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and 1 Corinthians chapter 2. The power of the gospel of God's free grace in Christ is not our oratory, as we saw there. It is not our rhetoric. It is not the persuasiveness or our technique that allows people to sort of get it, sort of understand the gospel, but rather it is in the inherent power of the Holy Spirit's ability and desire and will to draw men and women to faith in Jesus Christ. And it is through hearing a message about Christ. Remember Romans 10, 17? Faith comes by hearing and hearing a message, a a word, the gospel, the gospel word about Christ. It isn't our dynamic ability, our human ability to turn a phrase or to be slick with our apologetic arguments and trying to convince others to follow Jesus as Lord But it does include, though not this rhetorical ability and this eloquent wisdom, it nevertheless does include speaking words, words of the gospel. You can't just throw out the baby with the bathwater. You can't say, well, I'm not an eloquent speaker. Uh, I'm not sure I have the rhetorical ability to to speak the gospel to someone. uh, So I'm not going to be involved in that sort of thing. Uh, I love the gospel. I've embraced and received the gospel myself, uh, but I don't have the ability. Uh, People won't respond to my message because uh, I'm not a good speaker. Uh, I'm really not an evangelist in the Pauline sense or with... uh, Silas, Silvanus, Timothy, or others. Uh, I marvel at their uh, ability and their dedication to preaching uh, this gospel word to others, but I can't do that. That's, That's not what God wants you to do. God wants you, regardless of your ability to talk or to present Uh, the truth to someone. God wants you to speak a word of the gospel. It's not in the eloquence of the proclaimer. Hear that. Yet your words must be spoken to others. My my gospel, if it's if it's our gospel, Paul speaking about himself and Sylvanus and Timothy, and if it's my gospel and if it's your gospel, we need to communicate that truth to the hearer, whomever God brings into our sphere of influence, our sphere of contact. That's that's why we need to be gospelers, heralds, evangelists, speakers. And this is precisely why I read to you earlier those few scriptures out of 1 Corinthians and out of Romans, which underscore the need of a word for the gospel to be spoken. People aren't going to be converted to Jesus Christ without a word spoken, without a message given, without a sermon preached, without a message from a messenger. You may not be a preacher. 
you may not be someone who's in uh, uh, vocational ministry like, like I am or others, but you can speak a word of the gospel to others. That which has impacted you ought to be that which impacts others through you. When Paul emphasizes here in verse 5 that God's gospel grace comes with the attendant power, the very power of the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction, he's not downplaying or even minimizing the spoken word. He's rather teaching us that the gospel is powerful with the Holy Spirit using a person who speaks the message of truth, and we're committed to those same things. We ourselves are messengers, and we're fully persuaded by our message. We have a full or complete conviction that this is the only true gospel, and this is the content that must be conveyed to others, the gospel that Jesus Christ died, that Jesus Christ was buried, that he was raised again on the third day, that he ascended to his heavenly Father, that he's in heaven now doing his high priestly work of intercessory prayer, upholding the word, the world by the word of his power, and that he's coming again one day to judge the living and the dead. You say, well, maybe I need a place. Maybe I need to go somewhere and... Uh, and sort of memorize because I don't know that I could stand up in an extemporaneous way and talk to my neighbor uh, about the gospel. Uh, I, I think I'd be uh, too intimidated. Uh, what uh, would I do if they ask me a question? Uh, what would be my response if they bring up objections? I, I mean, that just unnerves me. I, I don't think I can do that. Well, perhaps you and I are soft-selling the very power of just speaking the facts about the gospel. Turn in your Bibles back to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and I want you to see this very, very clear and brief response of what the Apostle Paul did with the Corinthians themselves. Look at chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. Here's what he says. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you. He's reminding them of it. Of course, these are those who have professed Christ, but notice the gospel content here. If you're looking for a place to go where you might be able to have a, a prepared sense in your mind of how to communicate the gospel to others, here it is, 1 Corinthians 15.1. I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to, uh, preach to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. And then here's that gospel content. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. So you talk about Christ, and you talk about Christ dying for sins or dying for the sins of sinners. Verse 4, that he was buried that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scripture, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's, of course, the Apostle Peter, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. He says, is all that part of the gospel? Well, that's, that's a part of history. That's what Paul is rehearsing for them as a part of gospel history. History, But notice this, verse 3, Christ died for our sins. Verse 4, he was buried. Verse 4, he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scripture. 
And then historically, according to verse 5, he appeared to 500 at one time. This is, this is both gospel and history. I want you to notice something in verse 11. Paul says, Whether then it was I or they, so we preached, and so you believed. So they preached the gospel. They communicated the gospel. They had a message to tell. And that message was the truth that Jesus died, that he was buried, that he was raised again on the third day. Do you notice what Paul reminded the Corinthians of in this passage? He said that the gospel was what they had heard, that they had preached, that it was a message they received from Paul. He spoke words to them. And that is precisely what Paul said to the Galatians. You don't have to turn there, but in Galatians chapter 1, verses 11 and 12, it says that the gospel was directly communicated to these Galatian believers by none other than Paul, who had received his instruction about the gospel from none other than Jesus Christ himself. This is what's said in Galatians 1, beginning in verse 11. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. So what's what's the point of all this? Well, here's the point. You and I as those who have received a message about gospel grace, the grace of God conferred in the gospel, the the grace of God as seen in the cross. You and I, as those who have received a message about gospel grace, have therefore a responsibility to take such a grace-filled message to others. We have a responsibility. And it's the joy of our responsibility. We have the inestimable privilege of communicating this gospel to others, that which so impacted our lives, my life, your life. We have the responsibility, the joyful and expectant responsibility. That's why I say gospel grace comes upon the lips of God's messengers, and and you don't want to do anything else in your life other than live for Jesus Christ, and speak of him to others. Paul and Silvanus and Timothy committed themselves because of God's high calling on their lives to risk everything, even their own lives, for the sake of bringing the message of salvation in Jesus Christ to the, to the Thessalonians. This is what they lived for. And they were under tremendous persecution, tremendous pressure, tremendous suffering. Should I remind you, because he was speaking to these Thessalonians out of such pressure, such persecution, what we read last time from Acts chapter 17, you really ought to reread this. Look at Acts chapter 17, beginning in verse 1. Acts 17, 1, when they had passed now through... Uh, Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica. So this is, this is Paul first coming to these believers in Thessalonica. When uh, Paul comes there, there was a synagogue of the Jews. That would be very customary. And as customary for Paul, 
Verse 2, he went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures. They, they let him, as a, as a teacher, come in, and he reasoned with them from the Scriptures. Well, what did he do? Well, he was God's messenger, right? So gospel grace had come upon Paul. It came upon him, of course, in power on the Damascus Road in Acts chapter 9. And it also came upon his lips now as he's speaking as an evangelist for Jesus Christ to the Thessalonians. And, of course, this is actually to the Jewish synagogue in Thessalonica. So Paul is boldly proclaiming Christ. In fact, it says it in verse 3. He was explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead. So here's Jesus, the Messiah, and Paul is preaching him. He's talking about him. He's using words, not words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross be void of its power. He's just simply communicating, this is the Christ. This is Jesus. He's the true Messiah. He's the hope of Israel. He, he suffered. That is, suffered at the cross, and, and he rose again from the dead. And then he says, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Messiah. He's the Christ. And remarkably, again, just like for you and for me, if we ever have the privilege of leading someone by these verbal means, by this cross of Christ as we communicate it to them, for them to repent and believe. It says, verse 4, and some of them were persuaded. The Holy Spirit did that. Paul had such a full conviction that the Holy Spirit would simply use his words in the hearts and minds of these who are hearing the gospel. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, that's the Greek name for Silvanus, that's the Latin name, same guy, as did a great many of the devout Greeks. These are those who were native there in Thessalonica. And not a few of the leading women. These were uh, God-fearers, we would call them. That means that they were not Jewish by birth, but they were Greeks and they had been persuaded to follow Judaism, and so they were God-fearing, but they weren't believers in Jesus, except when Paul comes and he gives them a message. And of course, according to verse 5, but the Jews were jealous. And taking some wicked men of the rabble, that's where we get the idea of rabble-rousers, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason. He was one of these... uh, faithful followers in in Thessalonica that Paul had been able to communicate the gospel to, and Jason was being attacked. And, And they attacked the house of Jason inside the house, sort of seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, "'These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also.'" speaking about Paul and and Silas and some of the other gospelers. And Jason has received them. In other words, he's embraced them. And they're all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. Paul's under tremendous pressure, and so is Jason and and the other newfound believers, some of these Jews, but mainly, of course, these 
these former pagan Gentiles, uh, these Greek-speaking persons, and, and they're coming to Christ. This is, a, this is a kind of suffering and a kind of persecution that was so extensive here in the first century. And you can even see it here in 1 Thessalonians. Look at chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1. For you yourselves know, brothers, Paul, describing that back in Acts 17, and now he's speaking uh, through his letter to them, for you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. In other words, the gospel really works, and it worked in your heart through the message that I and Silas and Timothy had preached. Verse 2, but though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, you know, that's, of course, his letter to the Philippians, as you know, we had boldness. See, that's that full conviction that verse 5 talks about in chapter 1. We had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. How does God test our hearts? Are you willing to communicate the gospel of Christ to others? If gospel grace has come upon your lips as God's messenger, do you want to speak from your lips the truth of Jesus Christ. That's that's what's going on here. When was the last time you brought the message of gospel grace to someone? See what's happening in the first century and the gospel continues on in the centuries after what I've read to you here all the way into the 21st century in our own context. Now maybe you and I, unlike Paul and Silas and Timothy and and these believers, we, we may not be thrown before a human court. It could come at some point. Or maybe in a uh, very dark dungeon in prison for preaching the gospel. Some around the world are suffering like that now. But gospel grace has come upon their lips. They're, they're God's messengers. They can't help but to speak this, imprisoned if they may be. Here's, beloved, what I take away from, from this passage. This Discipleship. This is really what this is. This is this is a disciple. This is one disciple telling another disciple. This is Paul and Silas and Timothy telling the Thessalonians about the gospel, and they become disciples of the Lord. And in speaking from one disciple to another about God's gospel grace, from Paul, Silvanus, Timothy to the Thessalonians, it's so easy to see that from the biblical text here. So should we. So should we. Now look at verse 8 with me. It says it here in verse 5, but it also speaks about this in verse 8. Notice 1 Thessalonians 1.8. The word of the Lord. That's, that's the message of the gospel. The word of the Lord. Meaning here, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ. The word of the Lord. And then I want you to notice this phrase, sounded forth from you. Oh, I love that. Sounded forth from you. Where? In Macedonia, which is where, of course, Thessalonica was located. Uh, Philippi. And, Paul says, Achaia. That's where Corinth was located. 
That's why I read to you from 1 Corinthians. That's, that's where Achaia, that's that region. Macedonia is a region for Philippi and Thessalonica. The, the gospel sounded forth from you. Do, you. do you see this discipleship going on? Do you see the, the messenger of God's grace, Paul, Silvanus, Timothy, speaking this word of gospel grace, and then this word of gospel grace then goes to the Thessalonians, and then the Thessalonians take it to the outer regions of Macedonia and the region of Achaia, and this gospel sounded forth from you, Paul says. And then he says, your faith in God has gone forth, and notice what it says, everywhere. I don't think that's hyperbolic. It could be, but I think in these regions, the regions of Macedonia and Achaia, in other words, it, it, it began uh, as an outcrop, and then it just moved to the entirety of the region, so much so that Paul says, so that we not, need not say anything. In other words, it's, it's common knowledge. It's common knowledge. The apostolic preaching of the cross by Paul and his colleagues went directly to the Thessalonians. We saw that in Acts 17. We're seeing it as Paul's writing them back here now in 1 Thessalonians. And it went from these very Thessalonians themselves to what Paul says here. It went everywhere. Gospel grace came upon their lips as God's messengers. How about you? How about you? They became God's messengers all over Macedonia and Achaia, it says. Is this reflective of our mini, our, our ministry here? Is this, is this reflective of each and every one of us here at Bethany Bible Church? Is this, is this our gospel? Has God's gospel grace come upon us in such a powerful way, so deeply driven down into our souls, in fact, that it is on our lips and we are, in fact, and in practice, gospel grace messengers toward others. Gospel grace, the grace of God given to us in the good news that Jesus Christ died, was buried, raised again, and coming soon. Are we proven examples of that which comes off of our lips? Are we proven examples, models of having been so impacted by gospel grace so that we can't hold the message back to others who are perishing all around us? By the way, can you see the way Paul describes exactly how the Thessalonians took the gospel of grace, the gospel of the grace of God to others when they, when they heard it, received it, and then subsequently took it to others. I, I mentioned it a moment ago. I love this word. He, he, Paul, uses an unusual Greek verb here, sounded forth, ex eketa. This is, this is amazing. Ex ekeo. It's used, by the way, nowhere else in Paul's writing and the entire rest of the New Testament, for that matter. The ESV translates this gospel uh, word as sounded forth, but it could also be translated proclaim or sound out or even ring out or, or proclaim. 
it apparently has the idea of some kind of sound going forth in every direction. In other words, it's you and it's me as, as we have our words sounding forth, going out in every direction. And that's, that's such an apt term that Paul uses here when he speaks of the Thessalonians as messengers who are so excited about gospel grace, the gospel grace that they've heard and received, and they can't help but sounding it forth out of their lives and their lips this is tremendous. It sounded forth. It's like the, the sound of a, righty, a mighty rushing wind. I think that's what we're being told here in verse 8. Maybe we're being told that this is a, this is a spiritual awakening that's occurring in Macedonia so that the story, the, the news, the good news of the faith of the Thessalonians do you see that? He says, your faith. It's, it's, it's being well known among these regions. The faith that you have in Jesus Christ, it's being heard and received apparently by many, many others because they have boldness and full conviction and they speak in the power of the Holy Spirit drawing men and women through that gospel message to Christ. This is, this is an amazing truth, isn't it? And it should be the truth about us. It should say here, not just about me, the preacher, but about all of us, for not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you, but your faith in God has gone everywhere so that we need not say anything. It's just common knowledge. It's sounded forth. It's like a mighty rushing wind of the gospel going to the uttermost parts. 2 Thessalonians 3.1 says, Finally, brothers, so this is how he begins, and 2 Thessalonians 3.1 is how he ends. Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord, the message of the gospel, may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you. I mean, as soon as they heard the gospel, maybe within those three weeks of Paul reasoning, as was his custom in the synagogue, they began to hear it. It began to go out. Paul and Silas and Timothy probably went to the marketplace for the pagans, the Greeks, the Gentiles, and the Jews in the synagogue, the others in the marketplace, and they just began to speak the word of the Lord. And he commends them in 2 Thessalonians 3.1, pray for us that the word of the Lord would do that just as we brought the gospel to you. And so you pray that it would speed ahead. So whether it's sounding forth or speeding ahead, these great two metaphors, here's what we're to do as well. We can't stop but talking about Christ. Gospel grace comes upon the lips of God's messengers. Secondly, gospel grace works through the lives of God's messengers. Gospel grace works through the lives of God's messengers. You say, what do you mean by that? Go back to verse 5 of 1 Thessalonians 1. He says, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power. We preached in Holy Spirit power. The Holy Spirit was resident within, moving upon the hearts of people 
to receive this gospel that we preach, and we had the full conviction that what we were preaching to you was the gospel. And then this phrase in verse 5, you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. Now, that seems odd. That seems strange. Isn't it true that we would just rather say, well, then just go and communicate the gospel? Lance, that's what you've been telling us in the first part of this message. Let's just go and preach the gospel. Does it really matter how we live? Does it really matter how we conduct ourselves? Well, apparently it does. Because Paul says in this, this twofold conviction, this twofold reality, it, it's not just preaching the doctrine of justification. It's not just proclaiming salvation in Jesus Christ. It's also our sanctification, our growth in Christ, our progressive conformity to Christ's likeness. And it's got to come in attendance with the preaching of the gospel. I mean, the thing that aborts a gospel message, the thing that causes people to say, wait a minute regarding the gospel message, is if you and I have gospel grace on our lips, but we're hypocrites as we speak the word of truth. That's why we have to have both. It's uh, two sides of the same coin. Our gospel came to you in, in word and power and Holy Spirit conviction with the full assurance that what we're preaching is the right gospel, but it also comes through the way we live our lives. Verse 6, and you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. That's why I say this second and last outline point is gospel grace works through the lives of God's, God's messengers, not just their lips. And look what he continues to say in this text, and you became imitators of us and the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction, we've talked about that already, with the joy of the Holy Spirit so that you became an example. So notice he talks about both being imitators and being an example, an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. This is This is profound. Gospel grace, yes, it comes upon the lips of God's messengers, and and we have to communicate that message, but it also works through our lives. That same gospel that I believe with my mind, my heart, my soul, also begins to do its work in me, in my sanctification, in my spiritual growth, in in my pursuit of holiness. And, and, And apparently for these Thessalonians... This, this gospel was so powerful, this, this work was, was so extensive that it not only captivated their lips, but it began to change their very lives. And Paul says, now I want you to know what kind of men we proved, myself and, and Sylvanus and, and Timothy, we proved to be those who had both gospel grace on our lips and gospel grace working through our lives. And you got the message. You Thessalonians, you got the message. Why? Because you yourselves became imitators of us and even imitators of the Lord. And you did it with the joy of the Holy Spirit because you were being afflicted. You were suffering as well. And it was so much so, this reality that the gospel grace of God began to work immediately in your lives, that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia 
and in Achaia. And look down at the first part of verse 9. When, when Paul began to talk to others in those regions of Macedonia and Achaia, uh, other places uh, outside of Thessalonica, he says in verse 9, for they themselves, uh, some of these others who were in these regions, uh, those in both the regions, as I said, of Macedonia and Achaia, they report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you. In other words, Paul is hearing from the back door how changed the lives were of the Thessalonians because the Thessalonians were going to all of these other areas in the region and speaking about how their lips and their lives had been transformed by gospel grace. And Paul is now hearing from others, hey, you, you, Paul, when you preach that gospel to the Thessalonians, it changed their lives, and, and we're the beneficiaries of it. They spoke the gospel to us, and they're living exemplary lives. And Paul is writing back to them now and saying, I'm hearing about it. I'm certainly hearing about it. And even under much suffering, the gospel is being commended by you, and I rejoice in this. And do you see? He says you've become imitators, mimics, mimics. And then he says you're being an example, a a type, tupas. It's the idea of a, 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 a... Mimetes, a mimic, someone who's, who's becoming like the one who's impacted them. And an example, Paul was an example, and they became an example to others because of what they saw in Paul's life and Sylvanus and Timothy, and they became mimics. They, they imitated not only Paul, it says here, but the Lord, the Lord Jesus. How was this, how was this so? Well, turn in your Bibles back to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. I'll show you. I'll show you how this was done. Look at verse 23, Acts 4.23. This, was, this is what was happening. This kind of gospel boldness on the part of the apostles. Here, Peter and those who were with him, Peter and John. This is how it It goes, and this is how it must go for us, even when we're suffering, even when we're being persecuted. Acts chapter 4, verse 23. And when they were released, Peter and John, they went to their friends, right, their their gospel-graced friends, and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, notice this, they lifted their voices together to God, and this is what they said, Sovereign Lord, speaking, of course, about Jesus, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage, quoting, of course, from Psalm 2, and the people's plot in vain. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, verse 29, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness, full conviction. That's what Paul's talking about here in First Thessalonians the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction. That's, 
That's what they need. They prayed, according to verse 31, they prayed, and the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the Word of God with boldness. But not just boldness, with joy. Look at chapter 5, the next chapter, beginning in verse 40. Acts chapter 5, verse 40. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them. These are the the, uh, authorities. They beat them and they charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council. Notice this. Here are these disciples. These are the apostles. And they were rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name, for the name of Christ. Verse 42. And every day, in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ, the Messiah, is Jesus. That's, that's what their lives are like. They, they were filled with boldness to preach Christ, even in the face of great opposition, threats, suffering, persecution. And they had joy even in the midst of such suffering. And that's what Paul is telling the Thessalonians. And he says, and you're an imitator, you're a mimic, you're an example, you're a type, a, a tupas, even of the Lord. And how is that the case? Well, it says in Hebrews chapter 12, therefore, since we are surrounded, Hebrews 12, 1, by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, uh, even when we are suffering, even when we are persecuted, even when we are misunderstood and disagreed with by those as we communicate the gospel. Let us run this endurance race that is set before us, looking, verse 2, Hebrews twelve two, to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And these Thessalonians, as Paul writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, they are, they are also imitating the Lord, despising the shame. They're enduring with joy. This is amazing. I mean, the character of these men, through their proclaiming God's gospel, these these men and women of Thessalonica, they're, they're models of boldness in the midst of suffering. And they're examples to Macedonia and Achaia, these regions The gospel was not only what they believed and received, but they were saying, this has radically changed my life. You see, my friends, as we close, Christianity is a religion where gospel grace both comes upon our lips as God's messengers toward others, giving that same gospel grace to them by our words, by our message, And that same gospel grace works through our lives. Progressively, that God will use both our lips and our lives to bring others into the kingdom of God. We're going to get more into this when we get to chapter 2, particularly verses 1 to 6, where 
Paul speaks about himself and about his modeling of them. And they've followed that model. As I close this morning, how how often does gospel grace, that is the testimony not only of the gospel in your words but in your life, how much are you communicating this message? How much of this actual communicating of the gospel comes onto your lips and off of your lips to others? And, and how much or to what degree has this gospel grace progressively worked through your life? If gospel grace comes upon the lips of the Thessalonians like that and works through their lives like this as we've studied this morning, perhaps our church, not just as individuals, but as our church collectively witnesses, maybe we would be talked about everywhere. And oh, amen if we are, not for our own sake, but for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's bow together in a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, as we close our message this morning, we ask about ourselves just in the deep recesses of our own hearts. Has gospel grace come into my heart? And if so, has it come from the lips of others onto my lips so that I'm speaking with what others had once spoken to me about, this truth of Jesus Christ, His death, His burial, His resurrection, and His soon coming return? Do I shy away from those opportunities? Am I fearful of what someone may think, or do I boldly, with full conviction, speak the truth regardless of the response? And Lord, has this gospel grace that I've received and believed, is it working through my life so that my life and my lips are a reflection of the truth that Jesus Christ saves? Oh, may gospel grace come from me both through my life and through my lips. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you.